Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. This is Steve. I'm here with a special guest. We have Matt. Hey, Matt. Hello. So Matt's from Quartermaster Logistics, and you're here to talk all about shipping, especially around board games. So if you're interested in that stuff, you come to the right spot. So Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Matt. Uh, I am the sales manager at Quartermaster Logistics. Uh, we are one of the premier fulfillment options for board games. Uh, and we've been in the board game world for quite a long time um, <clears throat> in various ways, shapes and forms. And we've been shipping board games to lots of people. If you back if you back Kickstarters, you have probably received a game from us at some point in time. Uh, that's how most people know us. So that, that's who we are and what I do. Excellent. And you've been involved a little bit in board games as well outside of Cormes Logistics, correct? Correct. Yeah, I have been in the industry in various aspects for about five years now. I've done pretty much everything at some point or another. Design, development. Um, I, I've never designed a game, but I've worked on the design and development sides. Um, manufacturing, fulfillment, shipping, customer service, uh, you name it. Consulting. I've done art direction. So I've done some part of many different things <laughs> for many people uh, which is kind of how this industry works to be fair i mean that's definitely. that's kind of how i got to where i am today definitely yeah, i see you got tons of games on your back shelf though too so mm-hmm. obviously consumer yeah that's just that's just the ones that have survived the latest calling there's some in the closet <laughs> over there and there's more it's it's a never-ending cycle oh don't we know that don't we know that excellent okay well let's jump into the discussion so i want to talk about shipping because i know I've seen this question pop up a lot, especially recently, as we're backing games on Kickstarter or, or GameFound or wherever, and we're seeing a increase in shipping prices from what we have in the past, and there's a lot of questions and maybe even some assumptions around that. So I kind of want to have you on the show and dive into that. So okay. I guess maybe the first place to start is maybe let's talk about the general process of how shipping works and kind of get that context going. Sure. So in the the global supply chain of all of it, um, shipping and logistics and fulfillment is the last step. Um, when you go to this, like, it's very similar to what you see when you go to a store and you buy products there. Somebody has to get the end result of the product. So it can be reductive down to the point if we put things in boxes and put labels on them, right? But that's a very minimalized look on, on what all of those things are. Um, but basically, we work with clients to help coordinate the many different arms of where everything needs to go. So if you're working globally, or even if you're only working uh, in a domestic front, like if you're just doing US, you're just doing US and Canada, um, the complication level is fairly similar. So if you want to ship it everywhere, it's only a little bit more complicated than what we currently do for just shipping in the US and Canada. So it's, it's a matter of figuring out where everything needs to go, uh, managing the order data, it's very much about data. Um, having the right data in the right place is the key factor to making things work right. Um, and honestly, is the reason why most mistakes happen is data mistakes at some point or another, whether that's from Kickstarter or from Pledge Manager or from a combination of all of the above. But 
it's all about getting the right things to the right people and getting them at the right time. Um, everybody wants their stuff first and somebody has to be first and not everybody can be first. So um, it's really about making sure that the receiving of those products is just as easy and that the process is just as easy for everybody involved. So. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think the big part of that process is just trying to navigate the global supply chain because that's been mm -hmm. affecting everyone. I don't care where you're from; like it's just sure. everywhere. So how how has that impacted shipping? So I mean, supply chain is it's it's a bit of a buzzword thing to mm -hmm. say, right? Mm -hmm. um, because it's insanely complicated. Um, when you think about it's, I have a publishing company. I make a game in China and the game ships to you, right? Like that's the incredibly short supply chain, right? That's it right there. But in reality, between each one of those things, there's probably 25 to 30 different things that it needs to move through along the way. When a publisher makes a game, there's so many different factors in there that they have to go through. They have to get art, they have to get design, they have to get development, they have to get um, pieces, they have to get information from China back here to, to coordinate that. So that's complicated of its own thing. But from the time it leaves a manufacturer to when it arrives at your door, there's so many different hands that a product has to go through before it arrives, right? Your game leaves the factory in China. It then has to go to the port. That's one thing, right? Um, there's something called Incoterms. Incoterms is, determines who takes charge of the product and when they do it. So you could do something which is X-Works. X-Works means the freight or the partner or the forwarder or whoever takes charge of it from the time it leaves the factory. If it's FOB, that means the factory's in charge of it until it gets to port. And then you take charge of it at the port, right? So there's many different kinds of inco terms about who takes charge and when. So then the product goes from the port and it goes... And this is not even going to talk about all the things that happen at port, like how many different people touch your product at port. Um, then it goes onto a boat, gets loaded into a container, it goes onto a boat. Uh, that comes to the port in the United States or Europe or UK or Asia or Australia, wherever. Um, and then all the different things that happen at the port. It's going to have to go through customs. It's going to have to move off port to um, the fulfillment warehouse or multiple fulfillment warehouses, depending on who you're working with. Um, so it may have to go to one place, it may have to go to four places, um, it may have to go to one place, be broken down, then go into more places, that happens a lot. Um, and then once it gets to that point, then you can look at coordinating all the different items and making sure that everybody gets the right things at the right place. So, I mean, it's, that's even very reductive as far as how those things go. So there's so many different parts to that. And as soon as there's something going wrong or something happens, not even something going wrong, just something happens, um, maybe your product arrives at the end of the, of a day. And then like a lot of things that happen is it's not a, it's not a, an error so much as it is just the time of being loaded on a truck. Maybe it doesn't get loaded on this truck today. It's it loaded on a truck first thing in the morning. I mean, most of these ports will work. 24 hours a day anyway, but let's say there's any kind of break in time. So now all of a sudden it's waiting in a different line. And when that, <clears throat> even the time it leaves the container yard to get to the exit of the container yard, 
there's time that passes, right? Mm -hmm. So that you have to wait for a driver for that truck to move that container from there to there. And it might not even be the same driver that takes it from there to the, there's maybe an offsite warehouse, right? And maybe that offsite warehouse sits on it for a little bit. And then uh, that offsite warehouse needs to get a driver to move it to the next part, right? Like each one of those things has to happen. And what, what a lot of people don't think about is like the rippling, what I call the ripple effect of all of it. So when one thing happens, depending on where it is in the chain, it pushes that time out through the rest of the chain. So if there's a delay in uh, China, then we won't really see the impact of that delay until six months, eight months, 12 months later. So COVID is a perfect example. Um, the, the freight conversation where people have been talking about the, the price of containers, mm -hmm. the impact of that is from two years ago. Like we're seeing it now. We saw it really bad last year, but that really came from two years earlier. The ripple effect of decreased supply, increased demand, um, the machinations that happened around that, that took so long to get through that by the time it came down to it, when the problem before was you couldn't get a container, the problem now is you can get a container, which is really expensive. Um, and then all those delays tend to ripple through. So when we look at these things, it's, it's all a guess, right? Mm -hmm. Anything probably further than 60 days out is a wild guess. And honestly, anything within 60 days is still kind of a guess because um, you just can't control it. Like we get it, we hear it all the time. That's there's projected ETA of a product is this date. Like, okay, well, it could honestly show up 10 days in either direction of those things. Like we could get an announcement that there's an ETA of something arriving at our warehouse and it could show up the same day that we got the ETA or it could show up two weeks later or it could show up exactly on time. Um, so it's a, there's a lot of things to manage and keep up with. And a lot of things are out of the end result, right? Mm -hmm. You're like they're, they're out of that control. So like as the backer, you are in the position of least control over the situation. Um, but even then, if you go one step forward, which is us, we're still have limited control over how those things do. It doesn't matter how big we are. It doesn't matter how much money we have or how much money we can throw at something. There's a limited window of control that you have. And that's true. That's why they call it a chain, right? Because they're links, right? So each one of those links is self-contained, but totally dependent on the other. Once, once those terms are handed off, the person previous is not involved and the person after that is also not involved. It's currently maintained, right? So we have our own things that we manage and that's it. Like we don't manage the stuff in front of it. We don't manage the stuff behind it. Um, but ours is pretty like it's a, it's a, a 10,000 foot view of the whole situation, right? So it's everything affects everything and how much it affects it is entirely dependent on where it is in the chain. And if you really looked at it and you saw how many links in the chain there were between your publisher when they make the Kickstarter and when you receive the game, you would be surprised by how much it is. It's it's a well-established supply chain. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel it 
right? But now that there's increased demand for shipping, you see it and you feel it. Um, and that's a big impact on what everybody's doing. So there's lots of speculation out there and lots of um, opinions on, on why things are the way they are and why things should be the way they want them to be. But uh, they're pretty far from the actual reality of the situation. So. Yeah, with that comment, like, talk about the reality of the situation. Uh, like, we have all these chains that could cause delays. Do those delays affect the the shipping price that the uh, consumers see on the uh, on the other end, or the estimated shipping price that publisher might communicate to any potential backers? Sure. I mean, it's so each person along the way, each link in that chain, is not doing this for free. Mm -hmm. um, everybody needs to make some money at some point so everything that's done like has to be profitable to the people who are doing it now how that profit is determined how that is made whether that's us or the freight company that brings it to us the freight companies that we pay to move the things around fedex who ships the stuff the u.s postal service um, whoever it doesn't really matter there is somebody between every single level that needs to make money um, and, and it's it's honestly it's done on such a scale that we're, you're talking about pennies, but that it all impacts, right? Everything mm -hmm. does. So if you say, and we'll be reductive, if there's three links in the chain and your end product starts at $5, by the time it gets to you, it's at $45 because of the amount of money that needs to happen in between a person at the beginning makes the product for five bucks in order for them to make money they sell it for ten bucks the person next person sells that uh to the next person in the chain or maybe doesn't sell it but adds a service fee along the way so now that ten dollar product is fifteen dollars uh, and the next person says okay it's 30 and then the next person says okay it's 45. it's not necessarily a buy and sale like you would see in distribution uh, or something along there but everybody has to make something along the way and as costs rise like then that passes through the same chain. Like we talked about time and time is really a resource and it's a cost. Like there is a time cost associated with these things. So not only does the time increase, so the time the game leaves the factory, the time you receive it is several months, but there is the monetary cost of moving those things through that chain. So ultimately everybody wants to make the most money out of the situation. In reality, it, it all has to be balanced in the most way possible. So being the person that buys it, you feel like you're shouldering the load. And you are, but in, in reality, you're paying for the movement of the product through the chain. Whether you're paying the publisher who then pays for that movement, it all has to come from somewhere. And yeah. that's that's how business is done, right? So right. <clears throat> that it, it all affects it in some way, shape, or form. I need to ask about Kickstarter campaign in the general sense. Like there may be one campaign that, after their campaign closes, they're able to start shipment. I don't know, two months or three months after the campaign closes, they say they had all, all the ducks in a row ready to go. Versus another campaign that it was kind of an earlier concept. They have to do a lot more development. They're looking at maybe a year and a half later, with then they're ready to, to hit the go button. Uh, how what's what is the impact on shipping in between those two? Is the one that's going to have that longer delay, are those estimates going to be much harder to, I assume they be much harder to, to guess at or maybe be even higher in shipping costs? I don't know that that kind of thing will affect the shipping costs so much, um, except for the time aspect of it. 
Um, rates change. They always do. Um, and it's usually a yearly thing. Uh, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's volume-based. But um, if I make a game, if I launch a Kickstarter on January the 1st, and I don't have it developed, and it, it may not ship for a year or more later, right? So if you're having a conversation with me on January the 1st about shipping rates, I can give you a good idea on what shipping rates are going to be for the next calendar year. I can have a pretty good idea of what they're going to be the next year, but if you want to go even further, I have no clue. Um, <clears throat> and anything, it would, it would just be a wild guess, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if you're ready to go, um, let's say you have a completely developed game, it's proof of concept is done, manufacturer proofs are ready to go. It's really more of a pre-order thing. You're seeing that a lot more these days where people are basically ready to go. Um, it, it'll affect the shipping costs in that it, it's less time from the time they talk about what the shipping prices are to when they actually happen. What you're seeing a lot now and probably over the past year is that these are campaigns that were run in 2019 or 2020, which was before the shipping crisis started. Um, and it's not a crisis, really. It's just a change. It's just a bigger change than what most people are used to. So if you're collecting 2019 or 2020 prices and you're shipping in 2022, because you've seen the largest increase in shipping demand in like decades, the price of that, I mean, because the demand goes up, the prices go up. So you're all of a sudden having to collect and spend way more money on shipping. What you have projected as $100 shipping cost for something or $50 shipping cost is now $100 or $150 to ship. And those are probably real prices. Um, and it's a guess, right? Like it's, <clears throat> it's your job to guess as a publisher. It's the fulfillment house's job to help you guess. Um, and there's a good chance you're going to be wrong. Um, I mean, it's, you just don't know. I mean, it's right now, there's just so many different factors. If you'd asked me two years ago, if I thought the prices were going to be where they are today, the answer is no, I wouldn't have thought they would have moved as much as they did, but the price increase from 2021 to 2022 was massive across the board. Um, shipping carriers increased their rates by significant amounts. Uh, and even from 2020 to 2021, it was a fairly significant increase. Uh, the more people want to ship things, the more demand there is for it and the more price increase you're going to see. So unless you have a really good grasp on how much that stuff is going to go, you're even, well, even if you did, your prediction is still going to be a guess. It just may be a little bit closer than somebody else, right? Right, right. Makes sense. And we've been seeing a lot of these increase in shipping prices uh, mm -hmm. for various campaigns. Some of them, for example, I know Kumin uh, Not did their um, Marvel Zombies, which had these giant, sure. giant statues, really, of Galactus. Sure. Uh, I mean, would a product or element of a game like that also drive up the cost due to special packaging and handling requirements? Sure. I think, um, you know... It determining what a shipping cost is is fairly complicated um a lot of times when you look at shipping rates if you go to the post office you can or you go to the postal self, uh, service website you'll see what you'll see rate tables you'll see it at fedex you'll see it at ups um 
And there's so much of that that really isn't published. It's just simplified for customer view. Mm -hmm. So you may see like a five pound package costs $17 to ship. Well, sure, technically that's correct. How you figure out that it's a five pound package is something different because it's not just weight. Um, you could have something that's really large, but really light. Um, and that's going to ship as if it were a really heavy package. Um, the space inside of a truck, the space inside of a container is highly valuable. So regardless of whether it's filled with a really big giant zombie Galactus statue or whether it's filled with a giant pillow, um, that all matters, right? It's something, it's called dimensional weight in the world of shipping and logistics. So, I mean, you look at something like that. I mean, I, I don't know what the shipping cost determinations used there um, are. I won't speak to it, uh, even if I did know. Um, but I'd be I'd be willing to say that it's it's not an an inaccurate shipping price. Um, shipping the amount of product that they ship in the way that they ship it, uh, there's a lot of costs involved. Um, they prepack a lot of their packages, right? So it's all condensed and together into one package. They do that at the factory. That has a cost. Uh, it has a cost if we do it too. So. A lot of those things are built into that shipping cost. Yeah, that may not be the actual shipping rate that's charged by the postage carrier, mm -hmm. but that is the shipping cost. It, it, it's something you, you hear here, shipping and handling, right? Like it's because there's a lot of handling involved in those things. Um, so I don't think it's an unrealistic price, to, to be fair, for everything that's involved in shipping that stuff. It is a high price, but mm -hmm. if I was getting, I mean, I got... I got some kingdom death monster up there on top of the top of the thing. And that was not a cheap thing to ship. And I, I haven't sure. even gotten it all yet. Right. So it is sure, uh, sure. <laughs> it, going to continue to not be cheap to ship because it's a lot of stuff. And, and it's, there's so many things to think about. If you have a box like ticket to ride, mm -hmm. ticket to ride is 12 by 12 by three, 12 by 12 by four, something like that weighs between four and five pounds. That's pretty standard, um, pretty average size for things. But then you also have something like, Cards Against Humanity or Secret Hitler or something like that. It's a very long box, right? It's also really dense. Um, cards are really dense. Books are really dense. So it's a really long box with really dense stuff inside of it. Um, so that is not going to ship in quite the same way. And it would probably require a custom box to ship because of the shape. It's not going to fit in a standard box. It may fit. It's why... That's why if you order something from Amazon, you may get one small thing inside of a big box, right? It's because the system says this is the closest standardized box that we use to do that. So you're mm. paying for that box. Well, Amazon is a different thing, but you're paying for that size box to move, whether it's used appropriately for space or not. It's one of the things we do is we try to focus on maximizing the usage of space inside your boxes, right? We have some software that does that stuff for you, so. Cool. And with campaigns, we always have surprise additions. And maybe the stretch goals, maybe they're planned, maybe they're unplanned. Mm -hmm. How would a stretch goal maybe impact the price of shipping that may, could make it difficult to estimate? So, I mean, it's it's pretty common. We when when my team, the sales department, when we try to interact with people, um, you know, I've done it before. I've worked on multiple Kickstarters from a publishing side of things. So we try to talk about that with people up front as much as possible, but it's hard 
you're in the middle of a campaign. People are asking for something. They want something. Wouldn't it be cool if we did this? The answer is yes, it would be cool if you did that thing, right? But it's also a cost associated with it. So, you know, like if I say, here's my game, I'm going to add these cards on it, right? Well, these three cards don't weigh anything. So throwing those in is fine, right? But if I say, okay, I want to throw in that size box with it, well, that's different. I mean, that's going to change that cost. Or maybe you say metal coins, right? Metal coins are really heavy, but they're also really small. Uh, you throw in 20 metal coins inside of something, does it take up any space? No, but it's really heavy. Um, or you get a play mat. You know, play mats are really light, but they also take up a lot of space. So all of those things, you're like, oh, well, I'll just do these three things. Well, if you add play mats, metal coins, and some cards, all of a sudden you have multiple items, right? So it's drastically affected the weight and size of the box. But also, once you have multiple factors of items that are added, like we all, we all love it. We all say, okay, I want these 20 things that come with the Kickstarter. Right. Well, the, the shipping cost of that is increased because of the extra things, but also the complexity that matters, right? Like most companies, most fulfillment companies will say anything past five items or six items, or maybe two or three, depending on the shipping company, it costs extra to put that many items in the box. And we're like, well, it seems silly. Why does it cost extra? I'm like, because it takes extra time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've worked on campaigns that have had 500 SKUs that are included, SKUs mm -hmm. as product, but, um, well, packing 500 SKUs in a box takes two hours, right? Or more packing five SKUs in a box takes five minutes or less, right? There's a big difference in time and all that time at costs something, right? It also slows things down or speeds things up accordingly. So if I've got a Kickstarter, and my Kickstarter includes four packs, and I say, I'm going to take these four packs, and that's it. Everybody gets the same four packs. It's probably much cheaper to do because it's very easy to do. Everybody gets the same thing. It's easy to process. It happens very quickly. Uh, it's small, right? Like, you see it a lot nowadays. A lot of companies are looking at smaller options for product. How can we do small products that are still a big benefit to people? Uh, mm -hmm. It's definitely not as cost-effective as it once was. Not that it was ever cheap to do, but... Um, definitely not as cost effective as it once was to ship, you know, several hundred miniatures to people, right? That is, uh, there's a lot to go along with that. And does the Kickstarter bundles affect that as well? I'm assuming if you have a campaign with maybe one or two choices and that's it versus a campaign that's, can you do it a piecemeal or I want product A, C, and F, and I don't want the other stuff where you have to, it's more of a custom order. Does that also drive the complexity and put the pitches at the cost as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you see it quite a bit with people who want to add like previous products. Like maybe this is my tenth game, and I want to add all nine of my previous games as an option for people to pick. It's totally possible. Uh, it's not that complicated to do. It just is a measure of time and money to do that. Um, like not only that, you have to manage the availability of all those things. Like, okay, I've printed two thousand copies of this thing. I want to make all nine copies of these things available. Now I have to manage the quantities of all those items as well, whether that's the publisher that does it or it's a fulfillment company that manages your inventory or whoever. Maybe it's a combination of all of the above. Now you have to make sure that you have the right amount in the right place at the right time. So now you've created another level of complication for those things. So it's a simple thing to say, make more stuff available, sell more stuff, make more money. 
Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily work out that way, right? So if you've got a hundred different items that need to be added to things that you want to make available, your order complicate your order variations are pretty high, right? So it's we're the skilled fulfillment companies don't have any issues with that. It just definitely affects the cost and it definitely affects the time involved. Sure. Um, so it's, it makes things a lot harder to do. Um, but it, it definitely affects it for sure. Uh, one of the questions that uh, was asked by our discord community is asking about the fuel prices, like how, how much of fuel prices influence shipping prices? Well, I mean, it's the, well, I'll say it's the primary driving factor at this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, you know it. I mean, if you drive anywhere, you know how much it costs to put fuel in your tank. If you right. live overseas, you definitely feel it because it's super expensive to put fuel in your tank over there. But I mean, it's the primary driving factor in shipping logistics, period. It always has been. So the fact that the price, the fuel prices are what they are now is a big part of that, right? Um, there are surcharges involved with those kind of things when the, I mean, you see it when gets to be a holiday weekend we just you know july 4th was earlier this month if you tried to fuel your car up on that friday or saturday of july 4th weekend you paid more money because mm -hmm. uh, there was more demand for that fuel so because everything requires fuel to move everything does um, there is no non-fuel way to move things there's magic does not exist in case anybody <laughs> didn't know uh, so we can't magic these things around so every step of that supply chain requires some kind of fuel, whether it's airline fuel, ocean liner fuel, fuel for a truck, whatever, um, all of those things do that. So the, the price that you're paying for fuel is a great indicator to see like how much shipping is really affected. If you feel like you're paying a lot for gas, just imagine multiplying that times a thousand gallons uh, every few hours, which is what some of these places put out, right? So it's it's a lot and they're probably paying less than you because of the volume but it still is is majorly impactful so it affects everything we do uh we try to in most places do try to absorb and average those costs mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes it's just not possible because of how high surcharges for fuel and things like that are so yeah one thing about averaging costs as well because normally there's some level of averaging because it might be a shorter distance to deliver a product that's closer to the the arrival port, for example, mm -hmm. um, versus someone who's on the other side of the country, wherever it happens to be, right? Um, sure. And so, how does that tie into all these estimations as well? Um, not as much as you'd think. I mean, it just depends on how many hands it has to go through. Um, we're based in Florida. Um, so like something that moves from our warehouse in Florida to Atlanta, uh, it's probably not going through any other hands in between, but in reality, a lot of the times there are shipping hubs all over the United States. And a lot of times you'll see them when you're driving between big cities, you'll see these big giant buildings, lots of docks, like trucking docks that, um, they're called cross docks. Um, but you may see something that comes into one side of that literally unloaded from one truck and put into another truck and then moved right so the further it moves the more hands it goes through along the way very rarely does something get loaded into one truck and then stay in that truck all the way so if we're shipping something to california it's going to go through some hands at some point right sure, like sure. because we work with major providers like fedex we don't really manage that 
But if you ever watch, if you, I mean, we all do it. You get a tracking number, you watch it, and you see. You're like, why did this drive past my house mm-hmm. to get to me? I'm like, well, the answer is because that wasn't the delivery driver. You just watched different scans, right? This was scanned in here and scanned in here and scanned in here. Well, it's also like maybe it's at the front of the truck, right? Like maybe we got this big old truck and your box is all the way at the front, it's all the way at the bottom. Well, that's not how things are unloaded. They're not just because they drove past your house. You're not going to walk into that truck, get that one box and pull it out. All those things have to be unloaded in a certain order. There's, it's the primary thing we do in logistics is managing things that is both profitable for the company to do and that is the easiest way to do it, right? So it's a, it's a fairly complicated process. So distance affects it in that way because of the amount of hands, but I don't know that it affects everything as much but like the cost per is fairly similar that's why i mean it's why if if you've ever really dug into shipping prices you see zone pricing mm-hmm. the closer it is to you the less it is it's because the less hands it has to go through right yeah makes sense makes sense and uh one of the questions we had on our discord server was what is the typical minimal volume you advise game producers to ship for it to be worth it you talk about like a um yeah, this is it's kind of a twofold question mm-hmm. because um, when you're printing a game, you're not just like if I have a thousand backers, I'm not printing a thousand games. Um, I'm printing two thousand or five thousand or ten thousand or more, right? Maybe I print twenty thousand uh, because I have other plans for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, we we advise companies not on how much they print. That's not our I mean, it's not, we're not the publisher. It's not our job to do that. Um, but we advise people how much they should send to those reflective hubs. So we say anywhere from 5 to 7 to 10% more than what you intend to ship. So if you're shipping 1,000 units, um, you would need to send, you know, 1,000 plus 5% to, to make sure that things are covered because um, some stuff may arrive damaged, right? Mm-hmm. The more things you have to move back and forth, obviously, the longer and more complicated things get. But you want to have enough to cover that. Well, now when you're thinking about multiple shipment hubs, so let's say you have five different shipping hubs. Each one of those shipping hubs requires 5,000 units to ship. Well, that's plus 5% for each one of those 1,000 units, right? Well, now you're talking about, uh, we could do the math, but we'll just say an extra 250 units um, that may or may not be sales-related units. They may be replacement units. They may be damages. Uh, or they may be everything works perfectly. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It certainly does. Um, but you never know. You don't want to be uh, prepared in that regard. Sure. But the fact of the matter is we are in an industry that is very much focused on what's super cool right now. Um, <clears throat> there are very few games that have a lasting sales impact outside of six months. Uh, and that may be generous for some. So it becomes a measure of, I sell 2,000 units for pre-orders, and then I order 5,000 units. So the question becomes, and this is not a shipping and logistics thing, this is this is as a publisher, it's a very difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. What am I gonna do with those 3,000 units? Do you have a plan in place for those 3,000 units? What are you going to do with those 3,000 units? Are you sending some to ACD? Are you sending some to PSI? Are you is it getting ready to be convention season and you want to have 500 plus copies to sell at all the different conventions that you're going to? 
what's your sales plan? So what we, what we advise people to do is to have a plan for their product long-term because it gets to a certain point of storage. So board games are big. We've talked about it several times. We all know it. Mm -hmm. um, very, very rarely do we have a board game collection that is more than 50 games. It doesn't take up a ton of space. It's the entire right wall of this room. Plus you can't see it. It's over there too. Right. Yep, yep. <laughs> so it's, I, mean, it's, I have a lot of games, but I mean, it, they take up a lot of space. Yep. I mean, I also play, I also play magic and I have a bunch of cards and those take up a lot of space. Oh, right. Yeah. So everything takes up a lot of space. So if I have, a th if I have 3000 extra units, that's a lot of pallets. Right. So let's say you spend $20 a pallet to store something and you can only fit, let's say, 200 games on a pallet. That adds up pretty quick. That's a lot of pallets to store. It's $20 a pallet. So the longer you store that product without sell through on that product, the more money you lose because you are it, that continuing storage cost eats out of that margin. Ideally, you want to move quickly through the product. The ones that you see really do it well that need to move to a second print run quickly, that's exactly what you want it to be because you're not long-term storing your product. Mm -hmm. Long-term storing a product that you're going to sell through, which what you hear people talk about is evergreens, it's fine to pay for that because you're eventually going to move through it and you're going to move through it in the right way. So yeah, you might print 10,000 copies every time you do it because you know what your sales are going to be because you have established records. But when you're putting out a new product, if you don't know, then you could potentially be making a disastrous decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it might make you a, a slightly cheaper per copy print cost. So it might go from $7 a copy to $6 a copy. It's a dollar less. That's great. You just saved $3,000 by doing that. But if you're going to spend $3,000 or more on storage costs over the next year, then it didn't work out, right? You lost money on doing that. It's probably better to print 2,000 copies, pay a dollar more a copy that you can guarantee that you sell. So we don't advise people on how to sell things. We're not a marketing company. That's not what we do. But we, we advise people to do is to only print the copies that they know that they have a plan for because it's a stark thing to say, but sometimes it's cheaper to destroy your product than it is to store it. Because hmm. um, you're, you're going to reach a certain point where, <laughs> I mean, I just said some sacrilegious things there by telling people to destroy it. But <laughs> as a company, it's a financial decision that they have to make. And um, sure. It's, it's the like warehouse just, I mean, if anybody's tried to buy a house uh, or buy rent an apartment in the past year, there's a premium cost on space, there's yeah. a premium cost of time and everything nowadays. So warehouses are exactly the same. It is not cheap to store your product. Uh, it is not cheap for warehouse companies to provide storage for that product. So you got to manage all those things. So it's a, we could go into some business talk here, but it's called the sunk cost fallacy. Uh, it's because you paid for it up front, you think you'll make your money back. That's not exactly what the sunk cost fallacy is, but it breaks down to that. Mm -hmm. So we think because we paid for it, we'll eventually make the money. And it's just not true. Um, so the, that's the kind of advice we tell people say, look, you know, like, do you want to pay to store this? Because it'll come down to the fact that it's a year later, you have two pallets left of stuff that you can't quite move through but like at a certain point like all right do you want to spend 40 dollars a month storing product that you're never going to sell no you don't want to do that that's you find a liquidator you find a consolidator 
or you just burn it. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing to say, or you just give it away, make a donation, you know, donate it to the libraries and get it out there for, for people to play with. Anything is better than paying for something that you're not going to make money on. Right, right, right. Makes sense, makes sense. Uh, yeah, I'll kind of uh, wrap this discussion up here, kind of probably land on, reiterate maybe, or land on harder here. The question I see a lot talking about, people use the word, uh, is this the real price? Is this the new reality? And I kind of get a feel from from maybe uh, from your expertise here and seeing the numbers you've been seeing. Is, is this the, are these numbers that we're seeing for shipping, does this seem reasonable? Uh, or do they potentially seem padded? I've heard that from some people like, oh yeah, I think this company's uh, padding out the shipping costs to make more money or, or what's going on with that? So, I mean, it's comparative, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it comes down to that, right? Like the, there's a strong reality of cost mismanagement uh, in our industry. And I've said it before and I've said it publicly, but board games have been $50 for a long time. I mean, a long time. Um, the cost of buying games 10 years ago was 50 bucks. The cost for a lot of games now is 50 bucks. Um, a lot of companies want to lower that price. Um, and the, the fact of the matter is that price, that $50 price has to contain everything else, right? So mm -hmm. the costs are increasing. The cost of raw materials have increased dramatically. The cost of shipping has increased dramatically. Like what's the real price? I mean, it's, that's hard to say. I mean, there, a lot of companies will subsidize portions of your shipping costs. Um, if you've been around long enough, if you've been backing Kickstarters long enough, every Kickstarter that you backed had free shipping. Well, none of them had free shipping. They just didn't charge you for shipping because they subsidized the shipping cost into the price of the game. Well, in order for that to be possible, the cost for the game has to stay the same. So if it costs you $25 to make a game and it costs you $25 to ship a game, you can charge 50 bucks for it because then everything is paid for. Well, there's no margin built in there. The company can't make profit. So they have to sub, they have to eat their own money. They have to eat their own profit in order to subsidize those things. And that becomes less and less feasible because the costs have increased right over time. So it's, it's very much a perceptive thing. It's very much a comparative thing. You know, like, is it more expensive to ship something now than it was last year? Yep. hundred percent. Is it going to be more expensive next year? To ship exactly the same thing i 100 percent guarantee that it will be right um shipping rates change yearly um for some some places they change more than they change quarterly um but they will always change and when i may say change i mean go up it's never going to go down right you're not going to be like well guess what this is the year the shipping prices went down that doesn't happen um they always go up um it's inflation it's the way you know, yay, capitalism, I guess, right? But that's how it works. <laughs> right. So it's, do I think they're real? That's not my position to say whether something is real or not. Yeah. Um, is it realistic? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's indicative of inflation. Inflation is higher now than it's been in ages. We're dealing with record inflation costs. When you add that to record demand for the products and services, yeah, I think these are realistic prices. I mean, I think it's I think it's fair. Does it is it a price that you don't want to pay? That's not up to me. That's up to you, right? That's up to the right. person purchasing those things. I would love 
to own a jet, but I don't own a jet because the price is ridiculous to me. Sure. I don't know what I would do with it, but I would love to own it. But I also don't <laughs> want to pay for it. And because I don't want to pay for it, I don't own one, right? So it's uh, it's kind of the way it works, right? Like we we have the luxury of working with luxury product. I mean, nothing on this wall or in this room, everything in this room is for fun except for this computer. I work on this computer, so this is not for fun. But um, everything in this room, there's magic cards over there, there's comic books over there, there's board games over there, there's toys on the wall. It's all for fun. I don't need any of it. If it all burned up tomorrow, I'd be real sad, but I'd still be able to live my life and do my things. So mm -hmm. there is a cost associated with that, and it should be high, right? Like it, Like, it just should be. So it is as realistic as it can be. Honestly, I think... The prices are probably a little low uh, for a lot of people. I think they're somewhat unrealistic um, in that they're low. So when I see a high price for shipping on these things, I know it's probably closer to real than not. So if you're seeing somebody charging you $5 for shipping, you should know that they are eating part of that cost. If you see somebody who's charging $25 for shipping, they're probably eating some of that cost. Uh, depending on the size of the product. And honestly, if you see somebody's charging you 50 or $60 for shipping, they're probably eating some of that cost. I mean, it's just a lot, right? Like a container, average container prices right now are ranging anywhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000 for a 40-foot container. When I say container, that's uh, like a truck, right? Mm -hmm. Like something you see on the back of an 18-wheeler. So, I mean, I know you think you can fit a lot of stuff in there, but when you're looking at really big things, like you look at, I mean, Frosthaven, Gloomhaven, those kind of things, you can only fit so many of those in that truck before it gets full. So maybe a thousand, right? Well, if Frosthaven did 50,000 units, that's that's, that's 5,000 containers, right? Mm -hmm. So do the math, $20,000 times 5,000 containers is a lot of money. Right. Mm -hmm. I know Frost made a lot of money, but it's all a lot of money. Right. Um, I mean, but that's just that. I mean, that's such an such on its own end. You think about even just something like Ticket to Ride or any of those other sizes games. It's a lot of space. It takes up a lot of space and costs a lot of money to move things that take up lots of space. So it adds up pretty quickly. For, for a lot of these things we're not we're not dealing with small things right we're not dealing with card collecting here we're dealing with board game collecting we're in a hobby where we collect some of the biggest things that are out there like it's just a lot of space i think it shipping is the most expensive part of what mm -hmm. we do um i think it didn't used to be um but it is now right and a lot of people like to use shipping crisis, shipping problems, and uh, what's the problem with shipping? Like, there's not a there's not a problem with shipping. It's it kind of goes the way it's always been. It's just happening more often. So anytime you do something more, it's going to get more expensive. So and and honestly, the the fact that it costs more is not necessarily indicative of it being a problem. There are there problems in this industry, sure. Right. There's problems in every single industry that we do. There's a problem in manufacturing, right? There's problems in publishing. There's problems in all of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think game designers should get paid more than they currently do. I think that's a problem, 
right? But it's 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 your problem with everything, right? So it, this is just the easy target because it's the very last check that has to be written, whether it's by you as the as the backer or whether it's by the publisher when they're paying for fulfillment. It's the last thing before you can wipe your hands on, right? When a when a game when a company is making a game, the last check they write is to their distributor or to the shipping company or the fulfillment company. And it's the same thing for you. When you back a game on Kickstarter, the very last payment that you make is probably for shipping, right? So it's always the last thing that hits, especially, and it's just a feel bad, right? Like you, like I've already paid for this. Why do I have to pay again? Like, well, you didn't pay for that. You paid for the game. Now you're paying for the shipping. And it's just, so it's one of those things. It's the last dollar amount that we look at. So it feels like it's a problem when it's Mm. probably, and it's actually not a problem. It's just, more expensive than it used to be and it's certainly more visible now than it ever was in the past so excellent excellent well thanks matt for your time i really appreciate you taking time to schedule chat with me on this topic and i you know that was very very uh, informative great happy to do it anytime excellent okay thanks matt and if people want to reach out to you how can they find you uh, you can reach me at, uh, at Quartermaster at our website, basically, is the easiest way to do it. Um, you can go to www.qmlogistics.com. Uh, there's a contact us page for customer service issues, but you can also see an email for sales. That's me. Uh, that will go to the sales team. Uh, I'm at all the shows. If you go to a show, I'm probably there. We're getting ready for Gen Con. That's next week. Uh, you'll see me there with a quarter. I'll be wearing a hat just like this probably this one um and i'll have a quartermaster logistics shirt on you can say hello um I, but if you're a new publisher and you want to get into this if you're looking at doing your own kickstarter shoot us a message we're happy to talk to you about these things if you've got questions we're always available through there uh and you can find me that way awesome awesome well thanks matt i appreciate your time and thanks everyone for watching i'll see everyone at the next stop bye-bye see ya Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.